0: Hello and welcome, it's KVC Arts, Arts and Entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming.
1: I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. me.
0: BJ Thomas is probably best known for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, written for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, though he hit big the year before with Hooked on a Feeling. Lillian Vasquez spoke with Thomas in the fall of 2020 when he was celebrating the 45th anniversary of the Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. They spoke about much more, of course, and we're revisiting that conversation in remembrance of Thomas, who passed away May 29th at the age of 78.
2: My guest is singer, author, Grammy, and Oscar Award winner B.J. Thomas Your full name is Billy Joe Thomas. How quickly did you become BJ, and who gave you that shortened version name?
3: Well, I played a lot of baseball when I was a kid, and uh, by the time I was like 9 or 10, something like that, you know, there are a lot of Billys in Texas, you know, and Billy Don and Billy Daryl, and Billy everything else, so... They just started calling me B.J. for a long time. And then it kind of solidified even later when I had my first hit record. About, oh, I would say three or four months before I had my first hit record, which was way back in 66, Billy Joe Royal had a song called Down in the Boondocks. He was a great singer. And he had a hit like that. And so it was like, okay, well, I definitely cannot be Billy Joe. That kind of solidified that I would go by B.J. on record also
2: Very good. You were born in Oklahoma, but you grew up near and around Houston, Texas. When did you start singing, and was it in a church, or was it in a garage?
3: Well, it was in a church. Of course, they tell me that I sang all my life, even when I was like a relative infant. I always sang, and uh, you know, I always loved to sing, and it was kind of funny to me. I always had a lot of fun with it. I never for once thought I was going to be some kind of singer or, you know, that never crossed my mind. But I love the church music, you know, through the South. We love that Southern gospel music. And so I kind of grew up with that. And, you know, just about anywhere you live in Houston, you're going to be, you know, pretty close to a church. So, <laughs> so I, I would show up to see the other kids. And I love the church music. You know, I was like a youth song leader when I was 12 or whatever, I and mean, that sounds like I was very religious, but I was not religious, but I just, uh, I loved the music, and uh, there were a group of guys who were friends with my brother. We were all 15 years old. My brother took me to, uh, they wanted to uh, have a band like Roy Head. Roy Head and the Traits were a big band in our area near Houston back in the day. They the guy that had Treater Right. So we got the, my brother took me over. they didn't have a singer, and I kind of sang a you know a buddy Holly song and Johnny Be good or whatever. and then the next thing I knew I was in a band and having to get up in front of people and sing and so I had to make an adjustment to that. You know?
2: So you kind of were in a church and then probably were in a
3: garage as well. Oh yeah.
2: When did you know that singing or performing was what you wanted
3: to do? Well, I don't know. I mean I think right from the first, being in the band and after getting over the initial shock of having to get up in front of, you know, a group of people, and I was a very introverted guy. I mean, I would go for a week without saying anything, you know, I'm just one of those guys. And after getting over that initial shock, then, uh, you know, I had what I know now was like a burning desire. Hmm. So I would, you know, squelch down my fear and my stage fright and whatever you would call it, and I would get up and sing. And uh, You know, I was basically like a Ricky Nelson. You know, Ricky Nelson was an early hero of mine, and he, yeah. ne- he never moved at all, hardly. And so that's kind of the way I did. I was pretty stationary and just sang the songs, and that's how I kind of got rolling. So
2: I was going to ask you, who were your early influencers? Whose music were you listening to?
3: Well my dad was a huge country music fan so when I was uh, you know second third fourth grader I loved Hank Williams mm. uh my dad loved Ernest Tubb Red Foley and all those all those guys from back in the day and uh but I there was something about Hank Williams that really hooked me up I, I felt a real connection there and uh, you know subsequently my first hit record was one of Hank's songs but uh, he was my earliest influence, and of course, then when I was twelve or thirteen, Elvis, Elvis was there. But then, kind of, kind of immediately, even before I got into the, into the band, I was a huge fan of the black entertainers of my time. I think uh, the the R and B blues, uh, oh. you know, even even Nat King Cole, Bobby Bland, the Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, these people, I was I was drawn to them because it seemed like they were doing the music better than anyone. Hmm. Uh, you know, maybe not Elvis, but you know, Elvis <laughs> is so unique that no one ever really felt like I never felt like I was going to be Elvis. You know, but uh, but I I could hear from in Jackie Wilson's records and Bobby Bland's records that they really sounded like they believed what they were singing, and that so that that really was attractive to me, and so that's what I've tried to do over my career. But they they were my early early guys
2: my guest is singer and recording artist and author bj thomas why did you decide to write your book home where i belong
3: <laughs> well you know i'm not really uh, a, a writer in that sense it was kind of an as told to sure book uh to to a guy by the name of jerry jenkins who did a really good job of that you know it was um you know back back in the day i had some serious um you know addiction problems uh alcoholism and drug addiction and uh so when i've had an awakening uh, kind of a spiritual awakening if you will and i was able to uh get rid of well i haven't gotten rid of them i still have to deal with them but i was able to get sober and that kind of got around uh, in the business and um a gospel label asked me to uh Make a record, and uh, I made the record for this uh, little company here in uh, Texas. And uh, to everyone's shock, it became the first platinum record in gospel history. And then the next thing, I mean, it really kind of created a new genre in gospel—a thing they call contemporary uh, Christian. And I had four four platinum albums, and uh, the the thing that you know, I had no idea there was even such a thing. Mm-hmm. as that that business there and uh, so they immediately wanted me to write a book so i did the as told to thing and i had a, i guess i've had a pretty dramatic uh, past and whatever but uh, it uh, it was um, in connection with the record and hopefully, hopefully it uh, benefited someone
2: well we can certainly say you've had a colorful life um, ups <laughs> and downs and beautiful music
1: Sleeping on the job, those raindrops are falling on my head.
2: How did you come to know Burt Backrack and Hal David that would eventually lead you to one of your biggest hits, Raindrops Keep Falling on Your Head, and lead to an Oscar win? How did you come to know them? Yeah,
3: well, uh, actually, you know, I didn't win an Oscar. They don't they don't give an Oscar right. to the, the guy that sings it, but they, they should. <laughs> I wish they had it. but uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the greatest things uh, of my lifetime, especially in my career. I had been recording in Memphis, Tennessee, and I just... Uh, I just had a couple of hit records. Hooked on a Feeling was was my latest record. And my record company wanted me to step up and do something different. And so a lady by the name of Florence Greenberg, who owns Scepter Records, mm. asked me if uh, I would, uh, Gloria and I would move up to New York City. And she said, If you'll move up, I think I can get you a session and a song with Burt Bacharach and Hal David. And they were a major part of the. Uh, you know a lot of people's music, but especially Scepters because they wrote and produced most of Dion Warwick's uh, yeah. material, and Dion and Dion was Scepters' mainstay artist, mm. and they were a great independent label, and it was great. So I, so we did. and We just got married, and uh, we moved up to New York, and I started working with, the, not working, but just uh, I'd go by, go over to Burt's apartment, and we would go over music. And uh, we were trying to find the right song, and we hadn't, you know, we hadn't found it yet. But I'd been kind of working with him for a couple of months when the uh, bicycle scene, when the raindrops uh, yeah. opportunity came. And of course, the, the the label wanted me to, you know, they wanted Bert to l- give me a shot to do it. And then I had a very good friend, Steve Tyrell, who is a singer now and one of one of the best singers around. He was a childhood friend of mine, and he works for Scepter Records, and he helped motivate bird and them and mm-hmm. i just had hooked on a feeling and they like to record with people who were selling records so you know they gave me the shot to do the bicycle scene there's not one thing that in a, in a memory or any experience that was negative that was connected to raindrops or burt back and Hal david i mean the whole experience even over all these years has been the most positive thing that's uh Ever happened in my music career? Of course, so I flew out to California and did the did the bicycle scene. When I did the bicycle scene, I, I had a cute case of uh, laryngitis. Oh, and so uh, there was drama there too. And so I'm I'm <laughs> out there, and I Gloria and I fly out, and I can't even I can't talk. I can I can't my throat is killing me, and I go to the doctor. Doctor tells me, you know, you've got, I don't want you to even speak for two weeks. That you've got the worst throat I've ever seen. So, you know, there I was, I was thinking, man, you know, what am I going to do? And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, Hey, I'm sick. You know, I'm, I'm going to show up. And, uh, I had a rehearsal with Mr. Backrack the day before the bicycle scene was recorded. And, uh, you know, I showed up and, um, uh, he started playing the song. I started singing and, uh, you know, he liked it. He liked the rough, uh, course kind of. Sound of my throat, and mm-hmm. he never really said a, said a word. And I went and somehow I got through five takes of uh, for the for the scene on that Sunday. And uh, you know, as we know, that worked out pretty well. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm very <laughs> I'm very uh, blessed and i am lucky that that's, uh, that that worked as well as it did. And then 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 about six weeks later, after that, we did the movie version. We re recorded. Uh, raindrops at uh, Columbia Studios in New York City, and that's, that was the single version that was the was the hit record.
2: Yeah, I loved it. I loved the movie, and I loved the song in it, so um, I'm glad it worked out for you <laughs> and for the rest of us.
3: You know, I think that's one of the reasons that it was so successful, of course, was that it was in a really good movie. I mean, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, was really a great Western, and uh, of course, it had, it had that going for it and uh, Burt Bacharach and Hal David and it just had everything going for it and and I was very fortunate to be the guy to be the guy singing. By the way, I think I was the right guy. I mean, uh, that, that was back in the day when every other entertainer would record your song and uh yeah, I still think, you know, my version was, was the best one. <laughs> and uh, by my you know, Backrack, Mr. Bacharach told me he said, "You know, BJ, you did a great job. You were the you were the best. So I got it from the from the composer. So I feel like you you know it was pretty good.
2: Well, I think the Oscar win you know kind of speaks to that, that as well. Yeah, that kind of that. solidifies <laughs> it.
0: Thanks for joining us here at KVCR for KVC Arts. I'm David Fleming. KVC Arts has just gone from being a one-hour show heard twice a week to a half-hour show heard three times a week. Sunday evenings at 6 and repeating Tuesdays at 2 and 6.30 p.m. We are revisiting a conversation with KVCR's Lillian Vasquez and singer B.J. Thomas, who passed away May 29th. Earlier, we heard about Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Later, we'll hear about what was his favorite song to perform. Now there's this one.
1: It's lonely out tonight And the feeling just got right for a brand new love song. Somebody done, somebody wrong song. Hey, won't you play another somebody done, somebody wrong song and make me feel My baby while I miss my baby
2: you've been working in this industry off and on for over 50 years. you're currently celebrating the 45th anniversary of the song. Hey won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? Where did they get that title?
3: Well you know I'm not, I'm not really sure but the, the same guy that wrote that song was a guy that I recorded most of my hit records with a guy named Chip's Moman. And uh, I was recording with him in Mem- Memphis with the American Studio Group. They were the group that cut all the Elvis comeback things. So they were a great studio band and he was a great producer. And, uh, you know, he also wrote Luke and Bach, Texas, which is kind oh, of yeah. similar. Yeah. But we had finished the album and I had been recording in New York. And uh, uh, anyway, I came back and kind of hooked up with those guys again. And we had finished the album, we played it back. And uh, Chips uh, said to me, he said, you know, I, B, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we have a hit record on this thing. And I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't hear one either. And uh, the <laughs> organ player, a guy named Bobby Emmons, said, uh, you know, Chips, why don't you play B J. that song you just wrote with Larry Butler? And Larry Butler was the guy that produced all the hits on Kenny Rogers. Right. And uh, so I said, yeah, let's hear it. And he kind of didn't act like he didn't want to play it. Or, or something. I think it was so new they had just written it uh, that he wasn't really sure if it was a good song or not. But uh, anyway, he played it down on the guitar and uh, man, you know, it was just, I said, man, let's record this. So we recorded it and it just, you know, from the first time we sang it, I sang it down with the band. It just sounded like a number one record. So it took us, you know, three or four takes to get it and it just, yeah, it's just one of those songs. You hope all your songs are this way, but it's one of those songs that just obviously was uh, very commercial and, and uh, just looked like a winner, you know.
2: And they never thought to shorten the name of the song of the title. I mean, hey, won't you play <laughs> another "Somebody Done Somebody Wrong" song?
3: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I just call it wrong song. Myself. Okay, but, uh, it, actually actually the title is "Somebody Done Somebody Wrong" song, and then and then in parentheses. It's hey, won't you play? So it's kind of a convoluted kind of kind of cute <laughs> thing uh, uh, the the way they put it together. But you know, it just happens to, it, it just hooks you up mentally. It's just so explanatory that uh, people just identified with it, and I think I think people felt like they could sing it. It, yeah. it wasn't a real difficult song to sing, and they I, I think that's one, been one of my good points too is people feel like they can sing with me. And with especially that song.
2: Well, I think a few of your songs, especially some of your big hits that because the way your style of singing and the words, um, you you understand the words and they're catchy words. And then the tune is yeah. just so lovely. So the way you deliver it, you kind of I even mean, if you if I go back and listen to Raindrops, yeah. I know every word because I've heard you say all the words. You know, it's not like how <laughs> some of the singers today yeah. sing. Right.
3: Well, thank you. Now, well, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about another entertainer, but I think I just always did the kind of music where uh, you could understand it. it wasn't too uh, bombastic.
2: My guest is singer and recording artist B.J. Thomas. He and his team and fans are celebrating the 45th anniversary of one of his biggest hits, another somebody done, somebody wrong song. When did you (laughs) first make your appearance on national television and what did you sing?
3: Well, it was uh, with my first hit record called I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. It was in 1966. It eventually was a million seller. It went number one in Houston when it came out. My friend Steve Tyrell got Scepter to sign me to nationally. And uh, once it started selling records across the country, I flew out to California. And I did uh, the Lloyd Faxton show. (laughs) It was like a Dick Clark kind of thing. Eventually, I did the Dick Clark show many times. But the absolute first one that I did, which I got paid, I couldn't believe, man, they gave me 60 bucks here to do this. <laughs> and I, flew out to, I flew out to California, and I lip-synced my record on The Lloyd Paxton Show. Now, my first shows I did out of Houston was uh, they booked me out with James Brown. I went out and I toured with James Brown, hmm. and I worked with Jackie Wilson and Johnny Mathis, and... Uh, I think they thought I was a black artist at first, so I worked with some. You know, it was like a dream come true for me because I worked with so many of the black artists that I love. So it it was great, you know.
1: Hello, darling, my, it's good to hear you. I'm at the railroad station in St. Paul. How are all the folks I'd love to see you But girl, I'd love to see you Most of all Well, I've been staring at the rain And I've been
2: You've recorded so many songs and have produced so many albums. You're still on tour, a little less right now because of COVID. But at every performance, of course your fans are going to want you to sing or, or they're going to want you to perform raindrops, Hey Won't You Play and Hooked on a Feeling. With all that said, what songs or song do you want to perform and why?
3: I guess, you know, my favorite song, that the, the one that I really want to do, is it, of course, and I love Hooked on a feeling and all those things. Of And, and I'm emotionally tied to all, all those things. But uh, most of all is a song that I recorded in uh, Atlanta. So it kind of is my song to Gloria. And uh, it was one of those songs, I've only had two in my career, but it was one of those songs where it was almost like when they pitched it to me and I was recording in Doraville, Georgia, with Buddy Bowie and, uh, and Steve Tyrell producing. And uh, when they pitched it to me, it was almost like I already knew it. And the first time we did it on tape, that was the only time we did it. We listened to it. It was just to us, it just was perfect. And uh, it was just a, one of those experiences. So I always kind of go through those memories when I, when I do it and uh, think about uh, my Gloria.
2: Your Gloria is your wife of many years. What's the name of the song? Uh-huh.
3: Oh, mo- Most of All. Sorry, I thought I'd say that. Most of yeah,
2: All, isn't
3: it? Yeah, Most of All is the name of the song. That's the one I really like to do. Of course, when I'm performing, uh, you know, there are a lot of songs that I really, um, I don't think I ever really phone one in, you know. <laughs> There's always some kind of emotion or a memory that's, uh, that's driving me, and I really, you know, it's uh, within myself, which I, I can't really let it out so much, but within myself, There's a lot of drama and a a lot of memories happening. Yeah.
2: I think the same thing applies to us when we hear some of your songs. Like when I hear certain (laughs) songs, it's a lot of memories and where I was when, you know, I'm a little younger than you, but where I was when I heard the song and fell in love with it and uh, much of your music. Now, I want to ask you, if the singing career wouldn't have worked as well as it did for you, what other profession were you interested in or, or might you have followed?
3: Well, you know, um, of course, I had, you know, I was thought I was going to be a baseball player when I was a kid, but oh. uh, of course, I, I I would have probably have ended up just being a working man like my dad. I mean, I would have been a blue collar guy, uh, had a job and uh, a family, and that and that kind of that kind of life. And you know, that would have been that would have been all right with me.
2: I want to ask you, in closing, or as we end this interview, you've recorded a duet CD a few years back. Do you still want to record or what do you want to do at this point in your life? Go on, go on stage and perform. W- what do you want to do at this point in your career?
3: Well, you know, I've got to do it some. or, or, I, just, or, or I just don't have any peace of mind, uh, but, uh, but I've done it a long time. And I actually did have a session uh, scheduled for July 15th this year in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, with uh, Dan Penn and Billy Lawson. So I am, and we're still all in on that. And as soon as we all, you know, get our vaccination and get to where we can get in the studio, uh, we're going to go in and record that. So I still, uh, that may be my favorite part of of the music, although I've spent most of my time performing, but, uh, I do, I do love to record, especially doing, uh, doing the new stuff. So, uh, they've already written some great songs. Dan Penn is a Hall of Fame songwriter. And uh, uh, so they've already written some great songs and we're really excited about that. So, you know, I'm going to keep doing that. I keep, keep, every time I can, you know, come up with an idea, I'll do it. And of course, I realize uh, um, that probably the performing is going to be, uh, uh, you know, on the road somewhat all the time. is going to be what I'll do for the rest of my, uh, my life. Uh, and I, I realize, you know, as you get older, uh, the things change, and you have to be able to accept certain things and change with the, with, with with what's going on, you know. And you have to deal with it, and get to where you can handle it. So it's, uh, you know, there are many things about the music business that will teach you and and build your character if you can, if you can, you know, recognize. Uh, uh, what it is you, you know I, it took me years and years and years to realize that when I was performing it wasn't a party I was there to you know I was there to uh, <laughs> enter, entertain entertain people that came to have a good time and that was up to me to do a high quality uh, performance and uh, you know so um, I've learned a lot in, in music, and so now I'm at a, at a certain point in, in, in my musical career, kind of a Tony Bennett, kind of, I'm not comparing myself to him, but kind of in a late, the late stages, and he really excelled when he was older, and, and I, I want to I wanna excel also.
1: It won't be long till happiness steps up to greet me
0: It's been Music and Conversation with BJ Thomas for this edition of KVC Arts. Thomas passed away May 29th at the age of 78. KVCR's Lillian Vasquez spoke with Thomas in the fall of 2020 when he was celebrating the 45th anniversary of the Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. Thanks again to BJ Thomas, leaving us songs and memories, and here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Sharina Wadd. Music beds and themes heard on KVC Arts composed and performed by Sean Longstreet, so thanks to Sean as well. A reminder once again that KVC Arts has just gone from being a one-hour show heard twice a week to a half-hour show heard three times a week, with new times being Sunday evenings at 6 Pacific Standard Time and repeating Tuesdays at 2 and 6.30 p.m. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support, which you can do any time of the year. Just go to kvcrnews.org slash support. And thanks again.